0: All right, well good morning everyone. Uh, welcome to Citizens. It's so great to see uh, you all here. Um, I, I missed you all last week. I was uh, guest preaching at a church in Chicago, and it, it always feels like empty when, I'm, when I don't get to worship with our community, and so um, I made my wife FaceTime me in during the service. Uh, she said I have issues, but um, oh well. Um, it's uh, always a privilege to bring us God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter eight, verses 26 to 40, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Uh, If you're following along on a mobile device and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, okay? Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. This is the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our ears and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you've been with us uh, for the past few months, we've now been in a sermon series in the book of Acts called The Spirit-Filled Church, and this series is a culmination of our year-long focus as a community around what it means to live a spirit-filled life, a life that is open and sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. And the book of Acts is the story of the early church, this small, marginalized group of people who didn't have much by way of power or status or influence, but this group of people who shook the world because they had the Holy Spirit. And throughout this book, you get these small snapshots of what happens when the Holy Spirit takes a hold of a community people start getting healed, people start sharing all their possessions, people start living not to build their own kingdoms, but they see their lives as joining God and bringing his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And you realize when you start walking in step with the Spirit that ordinary moments suddenly become extraordinary opportunities to encounter the living God. Because you start to see all of life through God's eyes. You start to see people the way God sees people. Your heart starts to break for the things that break God's heart. And suddenly every conversation becomes a holy conversation. And every season becomes a holy season. You start to live your life with so much expectation and anticipation because you never know how God is going to show up. And this is what you see in Acts. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting is that most of the miraculous things that happen in the book of Acts, they don't happen inside the temple. They happen just in the rhythm of everyday life. People are just walking along and they see someone who needs healing and they get to encounter the living Christ in that moment. You know, the, these ordinary encounters become holy places uh for experiencing uh the love of god right Um, last year uh, i went to a phineas show at the troubadour uh phineas many of you know is uh, billy eilish's brother uh, who's just as talented and after the show um, i was taking an uber and i got to meet this lady in an uber and my my wife hates taking ubers with me uh because she's like do you please don't talk to the uber driver like you always do that right like i just want to go to the airport in peace and, and quiet. You know, you don't have to, you know, anytime I'm like, so, so what do you do? And she's like, ah, oh, no, here we go. Another existential conversation, right? And and so um, this Uber driver picks me up from the show, and she's like, what show did you watch? I, I said, you know, I just saw Phineas. Um, she's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know his music, but I know uh, my son loves Phineas. And I was like, oh, how old's your son? She's like, he's in middle school. And she starts telling me about her son, and she's like, you know, actually, I'm a single mom, so my, my son doesn't know his biological father. Um, I work two jobs, and then on weekends, I basically drive Uber after hours just to make ends meet, and so my mom has um, moved in with our family just to help me take care of my son, and I was like, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what, what that's like and how much you're shouldering, and she's like, you know, it's been okay, and she's like, I grew up in the church, and I grew up as a Christian, so there's a part of me that believes that, you know, God is going to carry me through this. And she starts crying, right? And she starts crying and she's like, You know, I really should go back to church. I haven't been in church um, for a long time. And she starts crying. And, you know, because she's crying, like we missed the exit that we're supposed to get off altogether. <laughs> and the exit that we actually find ourselves in is the exit off the 110 where you can see Roybel, right? So we get off the exit. And she said, I really should go back to church. I'm like, you know, that's our church right there, right? And and she was like, oh, my goodness, you're you're a Christian? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you know? Um, And I was like, God, like, tell me what to say in my mind. I'm like, tell me what to say next. This is an opportunity. Um, And then she was like, wait, what is a pastor doing at a Phineas show on a Friday night? You know? (laughs) And then that turned into this, like, weird theological debate about whether or not Christians can listen to secular music. And the conversation kind of went downhill from that point on. Um, She she never came to our church. Um, But all that to say, one of the things I realized, like, sitting there was, like, man, like, even an Uber drive can be a holy encounter with a living God. Like, we have an opportunity in every space we enter to bring the love of Christ, to mediate the love of Christ uh, to those uh, who need it desperately in our city. And this is what we see happen in the story we're looking at today, this famous story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I love this story so much. Uh, We learned about uh, Philip in the sermon DC preached last week. Uh, He wasn't an apostle. He was just an ordinary guy, waiting tables in the early church. And he's one of these believers who gets scattered in Samaria uh, in the midst of the great persecution that happens after Stephen is martyred. And Philip gets to Samaria, and he's killing it there. Okay, he's preaching the gospel. He's casting out demons. He's healing people left and right. And we read that because of his ministry, there was great joy in the city. Okay, so Philip is thriving. And then at the beginning of our passage today, it says in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is very strange, okay, because again, Philip is thriving and he's in this city, right? Imagine you are Philip living in a big city like L.A. Uh, He's pastoring the fastest growing church in town. Uh, And then one day God says, I want you to go to Milwaukee, right? Um, I'm sorry if you're from Milwaukee. I'm sure it's a nice place, okay? But the, this is basically like the context, right? He's like, go south to the desert. I want you to go from the city to the desert, right? And I, I'd be like, wait, th- that can't be God because he he must want me in L.A. This is where life is happening. This is the cultural hub of the world. People's lives are getting changed. Like, he he mu- he wants me here. And yet the very next verse after it says, God said, go down uh, to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It says, so he, Philip, started out. It's like, Philip, aren't you going to ask God some questions like, why do you want me to go there? Like, why the desert of all places? Like, what's going to be waiting for me there? Are there better opportunities that I should be expecting? And yet there's none of that. It says, the angel of the Lord told him to go, and Philip started out. God did not tell him, when you get there, you're going to see this eunuch, you're going to see a chariot, go near the chariot, he's going to invite you into the chariot, and then he's going to actually ask you to baptize him. There's nothing, there's no details, he says, go south to the desert road, and Philip says, let's go. And when Philip takes one step of faith, we read that on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. So he takes the step first and then on his way the ethiopian eunuch he waits again and then it says the spirit tells him see that char- chariot go and stay near it one step at a time god is guiding him and this is often how god works he doesn't always make it clear from the beginning why we're in this season we're in why this job at this time Why did I bump into that person who I haven't seen in 10 years? He just asks us to trust him and to pay attention. You ever wonder why the Bible doesn't say your word is a lighthouse? Because oftentimes it doesn't illuminate the whole thing. It says your word is a lamp unto my feet. It gives us enough light to see one step at a time. And this is what life with God looks like. He he says, take one step, trust me. He said, let me, I'll show you. Take one more step, trust me. Take one more step, trust me. You know, something I love to do when my kids have a day off is I will wake them up, I say, get dressed, we're going to go do something fun. And they say, where are we going? I say, it's going to be a surprise. And they're like, okay, you know, they get dressed because they know if dad says we're going to go somewhere fun, we're going to go somewhere fun, right? And I know as a dad, if I tell them we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, that's all they're going to be thinking about, Chuck E. Cheese. Right? They're, from the moment they get in the car, this is what we're going to do at Chuck E. Cheese. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to Chuck E. Cheese. But if I don't tell them where we're going, then in the car, they're paying attention to me. Right? They're like, okay, why are you making that turn there? Oh, like, are we going to the, the food court? No, no. You know, and they're paying attention to every expression. They're paying attention to all my movements. They're asking me questions. We're having a conversation. And for me, the ride is the best part. Because I get to be on this adventure with my kids, and there is nothing like the feeling of when you make that final turn and you show that they realize we're at Chuck E. Cheese. Like their faces light up, the joy that fills their face. There's nothing like that as a dad. And I think this is often what it's like to be on this adventure with God. You don't always know where you're going. But if God tells you we're going somewhere, no matter how long that journey takes, no matter how many twists and turns you will encounter, you know that in the end it's going to be good. Because God has proven himself over and over and over again. Which is why when the angel of the Lord tells Philip, go south, he's like, okay, let's go. And Philip doesn't even realize it yet, but where God is taking him is from Samaria to the ends of the earth. You see, for the Greeks and Romans, Ethiopia, which is basically modern-day Sudan, was the ends of the earth. And if you remember back in Acts 1, Jesus tells his disciples, look, you're not going to know how the story turns out, but I'm going to tell you one thing. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then fast forward to Acts 8, you realize everything Jesus said was going to happen is starting to happen. Last week, D.C. talked about how the church was scattered in Judea and Samaria as a result of the great persecution that was taking place in the midst of what seemed like this horrible moment for the church. God was doing what he said he was going to do. And it's this great reminder that often what looks like suffering and pain in your life just might be the very means by which God is accomplishing his purposes in and through you. If you're saying, my marriage is really hard right now, this season of singleness is really hard right now, loving this person is really hard right now, work is really hard right now, sometimes sometimes we need to step back and remember that God doesn't just work in spite of our circumstances. He's often using those very circumstances to take us to the very places He wants us to go and turn us into the people He wants us to be. And now here in Acts 8.26, God is on the move again. And because Philip knows what God is capable of, he's not missing this opportunity. You see, if Philip was not open and sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and imagine if Philip just stayed where he was comfortable, he could have missed out on being the first missionary to the ends of the earth. He could have missed out on being a part of God's plan to redeem the entire world. And let's be clear, God didn't need Philip. God doesn't need any of us. He could have done it with or without him, but because Philip was open and sensitive to the Spirit, because he showed up and he said, send me, here I am, Philip now gets to be a part of what God is doing. Now, question I get asked all the time, well, how do you know it's God and not yourself, right? It's a good question, because I'm sure at some point we've either used the line or heard the line, God told me to break up with you right i mean it's classic okay christian breakups right god told me to break up with you um you know no you just like her you know um you know god i really feel god leading me to this job i mean it it pays like twenty thousand dollars more so that's probably it right how do we know it's the holy spirit and not ourselves and let me just give you two quick litmus tests okay First question you should ask yourself, and this is in light of our liturgical life series that we did back in the beginning of the year. First, you have to ask yourself, have I created space in my life for the Spirit to dwell in and through me? Am I Sabbathing? Am I spending time with God in His Word and in prayer? Am I spending time in community? And again, the power isn't in the practices themselves, but the practices are portals that allow us to access the heart of God. How can we know the heart and will of God unless we hang out with Him, unless we know Him, right? The more time you spend with someone, the more you start to get to know their quirks. The more you start to learn their mannerisms, the more you start to know their heart, right? If you are not resting and you are burnt out and exhausted, and you're making these decisions thinking that this is God leading you, you might want to check yourself because you might just be making these decisions out of your exhaustion, right? So that's the first litmus test. The second litmus test, second question you should regularly ask yourself is, is the fruit of the Spirit present? Is what you're feeling producing in you and leading you toward a greater sense of love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? If doing something is bringing you more anxiety and more stress, if it's turning you into a more bitter, discontent person, you might have to question, I I wonder if this is the Spirit leading me. But if what you're sensing inside of you is producing more love and more joy and more peace, that just might be God leading you. And I think it's very important that Philip is described in Acts 6 as someone who is full of the Spirit. Philip knows God intimately. He and God are homies. And so when God says, do this, he's like, let's go. He's like, I'm ready to go. And where God leads Philip is to this Ethiopian eunuch, and it's so unexpected because the two of them together don't make sense at all. Right? There is no scenario in which these two people would ever get into a chariot together. You, to a middle-class Jewish man like Philip, this Ethiopian eunuch represents everything this man from birth has been taught to despise. Okay? In that time, every Jewish male had to say this one prayer every day. Thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Pretty horrible prayer. They had to pray that every day. That's why Galatians 3.28 is so profound when Paul says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's intentionally subverting the language and the paradigms of that time. He's intentionally subverting the racism, classism, patriarchy of that day. And so you have these two people who do not belong together in community together. And I think it's very significant that Philip is named, but the Ethiopian eunuch is not given a name. He's only described using the very descriptors Jews would have used to other them. Ethiopian and eunuch. Gentile, foreigner, eunuch. Even just one of these descriptors alone would have prevented them from worshiping in the temple because the Jew- Jewish tradition had very strict laws as to who could be let in, but he had three of them. Gentile, foreigner, eunuch. And this is the guy God sends Philip to meet. And you start to realize when you read this story is that what makes no sense in the world's eyes makes perfect sense in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of god shatters every racial social economic barrier that humans use to create an us versus them in versus out mentality in the kingdom of god there is only one metric that everyone is equally broken and everyone is equally loved in the kingdom of god all are welcome to sit at the table and it's not that our differences are erased it's that all of our differences are upheld celebrated and honored where we start to realize oh There are parts of God's glory that I will not be able to experience unless you, who are very different from me, are in my life, unless we are in community together. This is why I think things like the women's retreat, where all of a sudden you have people of all different life stages, where you have moms and college students and young adults all in community together. There's something so profound about that because these are communities that typically don't hang out with each other, but in the kingdom of God, it makes sense. And this is what made Christianity so attractive in the first century and why it exploded. And secular scholars talk about this all the time. Christianity was the one religion that was not localized to a specific region or to a specific subset of people. It was radically inclusive because it preached this Jesus who was for everyone, for the wealthy and the widow, for the powerful and the poor, for the Pharisee and the prostitute. It was for everyone. And one quick thing i want to point out here that i think is very important the first time i ever heard this uh passage preached to me it was right before i went on short-term missions okay no offense to short-term missions but this passage was preached to me as you have philip this christian who sees this helpless ethiopian eunuch and he has compassion on him and then he saves him by preaching the gospel to him and we were told go be like philip go to like a third world country, to an impoverished neighborhood, find the broken, helpless people, the uncivilized barbarians, and go save them because they need the gospel. That's how, and, and a lot of times, what was preached to us as missions was actually more like colonization, right? And, and you may have heard this phrase, the white savior complex, but it's this Western idea of missions where it says, Hey, you go to this neighborhood and you say, Here we are, we have something you need, we're here to save you from your brokenness. And I could preach an entire sermon on how damaging that kind of theology has been in the church, but I just want to point out that here in this story, the Ethiopian eunuch, though different from Philip, is not at all presented as a disempowered, helpless person. In fact, he's presented as an extremely powerful, wealthy, educated person. We know he's extremely wealthy because only wealthy could afford a scroll okay back then Bibles were not as readily available as they are now and so scrolls were very rare and they were very expensive so it was very expensive to purchase a scroll and it was impossible almost to find someone who could read one but he could do both we also know he was very powerful because we read that he's a court official in charge of the Treasury which basically means he's the chief financial advisor to the Queen okay in fact the very reason he's a eunuch has to do with his proximity to the royal family because in those times if you wanted to get close to the royal family and if you wanted to hold a position of great power and status you had to be castrated because they needed to know they could trust you around someone like the queen or they could trust you around someone like the royal family so even the fact that he's a eunuch tells you how close in proximity he is to power okay and so i want to point that out just to say in this story you don't have Philip, this protagonist, and this eunuch who's just the recipient of this protagonist's actions, you have two people who the Holy Spirit is working in equally, right? There's a reason this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from a Jewish scroll. It's not by accident. God has been divinely orchestrating this encounter, and so it's not up to Philip to bring Jesus to him. Jesus is already there, And my favorite definition of evangelism is by Daryl Johnson who says evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. In other words, you are not God. You are simply an instrument that God is using to continue a conversation he's already started. So you don't have to feel like you have to save every person you talk to because it's not up to you. You might be just one link in the chain You might be the one person who just invites someone over to your house and shares a meal with them. You might be one conversation in that person's journey of faith. You might be one link, and and I think if we understand this, one, it should take the pressure off of us to feel like it's on us to change all the people in our lives, but two, it should give us a lot of confidence when we do feel like the Spirit is prompting us to go forge a relationship with someone, to go talk to that person. Man, like, when when we feel like, I feel like God is placing someone on my heart, we can approach that relation with so much confidence knowing that God is already there. He's already moving. He's already at work. We just have to join God and discern what God is doing and ask, how can I join you in this work that you're doing? Okay? Well, let's keep going. Philip runs up to the chariot, Okay, interesting scene, okay? This guy, Ethiopian eunuch, entourage, chariot, and this guy is just like running up next to the chariot. Okay, strange. Okay, and he asks a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he leaves it there, and he just waits until the eunuch invites him in. He doesn't come in uninvited. He doesn't come barging in and start fixing things. He meets the eunuch where he's at, and he waits until the eunuch invites him in. Let me just tell you this. Christians these days are so good at making statements. Really good at it. We're so good at getting on our soapboxes and telling everyone what we think they need to do, how they need to live, and how they need to vote. But if you even think about the way Jesus healed, he never came on the scene and he never was like, you're healed and you're healed and you're healed. You know what he did? He says, what can I do for you? Even when it was glaringly obvious, like the, the guy has been a lame beggar, the guy has leprosy, uh, I think you know what I want you to do for me. But Jesus what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? What are your struggles? What are your aspirations? Making dogmatic statements was never Jesus' approach relationship. Was his approach. Connection was his approach. And notice the Spirit doesn't tell Philip, hey, get in that chariot and baptize that guy. You know what he says? He says, you see that chariot over there? Just go stay near it. Stay near it. I wish this would be our posture as Christians. We're so good at giving unsolicited advice about how people should feel and think. What if we just stayed near? What if we just listened? What if we cared more about relationship than about being right? What if we were humble enough to ask, how can I help you? What do you need? Because this is what Philip did. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And it was then that the eunuch responds by saying, how can I unless someone explains it to me? It's this beautiful interaction full of grace and love. Well, he invites Philip into the chariot, and Philip sees that this eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter 53, okay? Home run. It's like, yes, Isaiah 53. And it says, he was like a sheep, led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Who can speak of his descendants? you got to think this eunuch must be intrigued here. Who is this person that the prophet Isaiah is talking about who, like me, doesn't have descendants? Who, like me, is suffering humiliation? Like, you know this had the eunuch thinking. Here's a guy who has reached the very pinnacle of what the world had to offer him. He was at the highest possible position working for the royal family. He was rich. He was educated very powerful and he sacrificed everything to get to where he is he sacrificed his family's name he sacrificed everything in those times to be a eunuch was basically to give up your identity your significance and your worth because in that time in that familial culture a person's significance and worth was based on their lineage it was your kids being able to carry on your legacy and all of a sudden this eunuch he's like oh my goodness I've sacrificed all of that in order to get to the top of this mountain. And yet he gets to the top and he's still empty. What else would possess a man to get in a chariot, go a thousand some miles to Jerusalem where he probably knows he's not wanted to go try to worship in the temple? You got to be desperate. He has all the money in the world. He's like, I'm not finding it here, so i got to go there. i got to go somewhere, and I'm hearing about this Jewish Messiah. Let me check it out. And he goes there all the way to Jerusalem, and to add insult to injury, once he gets to the temple, you know what happens? He's not allowed in. Because, again, Jewish customs and laws were very strict. If you're, an, if you're a Gentile, you're a eunuch, you can't worship in the inner courts. You can't come in here. Can you imagine how humiliated he is? The injustice, right? He thought he had some power. He thought his life had meaning. He gets to the temple. They won't even let him come in to worship. This man who on one hand seems to have everything and suddenly realizes he has nothing. No community, no intimacy, no hope. I think this is the case for a lot of people who come to L.A., They come here pursuing their dreams and some of them actually get to the top they actually reach their goals and sometimes there's something sadder than actually reach there's actually something sadder than not coming to la and not reaching your goals it's actually reaching your goals and realizing you're still empty and you're still lacking something and you're still dissatisfied and you're still discontent and you're like what did i just give the last 10 20 30 years of my life for and this is what the eunuch is feeling But thank God that at just the right moment, as this eunuch is on his way home, dejected and alone, the Spirit sends Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. And it's this picture of a God who is always pursuing us before we pursue him. It's a picture of a God who is always pursuing those who are hurting. The Bible says God is near to the crushed and the brokenhearted. It's in our lowest moments that God shows up and reminds us that he's with us. Given that this eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, when Philip gets to the chariot, it probably means he also read Isaiah 56 because it's three chapters later, part of the same scroll. And you know what it says in Isaiah 56? Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I imagine this eunuch is reading this with tears in his eyes, saying, how is this possible that I, a eunuch, can have an everlasting name better than sons and daughters. I've given up my opportunity to have kids. I'm past that. I've given up my opportunity to get married and to have a life and to have a family. I've given up my self-worth. How is this possible? To which Philip replies, it's possible because of Jesus. Jesus the suffering servant who was slain for the sins of the world, the one this passage is talking about, the one who crossed every boundary to be near to the broken, the one who was excluded so that all of us might be included in the kingdom of God, regardless of who we are, what we've accomplished and not accomplished, whether we're single, married, widowed, or divorced, the love of God is available to all through one, Jesus Christ. And the line that gets me every time is when the eunuch asks Philip, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? He's like, oh, look, there's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Because you got to think for this eunuch, he's like, there must be something. If you knew my past and if you knew what I've done, you knew what I needed to do to get to the top, you know how broken I am. There must be something that stands in the way of my being baptized. Because this is a guy who feels like he's never belonged. He doesn't fit in. And it's in that moment that this eunuch finds in the gospel that which he could not find in his life. Full uninhibited love and acceptance. They stop the chariot. The two get out. And Philip baptizes him on the spot. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, the veil is ripped in two. There are no barriers. There are no hindrances. No matter what you've done or what has been done to you, the love of Christ is available to us all. Let me just close by saying this. Maybe you woke up this morning and you thought today was just going to be another Sunday. We're going to do what we did every week. We just come to church, go to worship, Maybe you haven't been in church for a while and you were nervous about coming here today. Maybe you're here and objectively your life is going well. You can't really complain. But still, deep down inside, there's this emptiness, there's this stomach-level sadness that you can't seem to shake. Can I just say that the Holy Spirit can turn your life upside down right now? I can tell you this eunuch, did not wake up that morning thinking he was going to be baptized by the end of the day. He woke up getting ready to travel another thousand miles and to go back ashamed, empty, dejected, alone. He was not expecting to meet Philip. He was not expecting to encounter the living God. But the Spirit had different plans for this eunuch. He said, today is the day you're going to experience my love. And today is the day you're going to experience a love that you've never experienced before. Today is the day I'm going to show you a love that crosses every boundary and every barrier, a love that stays near to the hurting and the brokenhearted. And God suddenly turns this ordinary day, this ordinary conversation, into a holy encounter with the living Christ. I believe this is what God wants for many of us here today. And so the big question as we close is will you open up yourself to what God wants to show you? Will you let God love you in a way that only he can? Let's pray. I want to give us a moment just on our own to respond to this word. In many ways, we are all like the eunuch, especially here at Citizens. Many of us are objectively, subjectively doing pretty well for ourselves. And yet there's still this nagging anxiety, this nagging emptiness, this nagging ache. And we've tried to fill it with so many things, our accomplishments, a relationship, our pedigree, and we come away realizing that these things cannot satisfy the longings of our soul. And in this moment, I want to give us a moment just to say, Spirit, open my heart to receive the kind of love only you can give a love that does not look at everything I've done or everything I haven't done, that does not look at what I bring to the table, but simply looks at the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to sit in that love. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that knows no bounds. God, we were all like the eunuch. And you didn't just come and stay near to us. You became one of us. You left your heavenly throne. You crossed every boundary and barrier imaginable to pursue the ones you love. And I pray that we would in this moment just stop and see this love that pursues us all the days of our lives. That we don't have to keep chasing this love and chasing this acceptance and chasing this validation, but we would know that it's already ours in Christ Jesus. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. We pray that we would live in that freedom. And we pray that every day then, would become a holy opportunity to encounter you, to encounter you in our homes, in our workplaces, on our campuses, in our relationships, in everyday conversation, that we would begin to notice all the ways you're working in and through and around us. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see your work. We thank you for who you are. We love you.